God wants you to love people completely irrespective of your feelings about their performance. That's hard, isn't it? And I'm here to tell you it's impossible if you don't receive the power of God by the Holy Spirit because of what Jesus did. We can't do it. We've tried and failed and tried and failed. But God's love is unconditional. It's eternal. Ours is totally conditional. I will love you if you do what I want you to do. And if you don't, No love for you. If you want to know what someone believes, just look at their life. Other people can see what you believe too. If you profess to be a believer but are engaging in behaviors that clash with the truth of the word, then something's off. In today's teaching, Pastor Daniel will take us through how the Apostle Paul instructs the church to walk as Jesus walked, in love and in truth. Now, here's Daniel in the book of Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1 with part one of our message entitled, The Messy Wave. I know many of you are thinking right now, what's the bass player doing walking out to teach the Bible to everybody? My story is, for me, was I picked up the bass when my parents wouldn't let me play drums. Some of you parents know what that's like. I remember I started taking drum lessons when I was in uh, seventh grade, and, and I'm like, Mom, I want to buy a drum set. And when she realized that when you're the drummer that the band practices at your house, it was like ixnay on the rum day, you know what I mean? No, no drums in the house. And so if you can't be a drummer, of course, you become a bass player. And there's, a, there's an old joke, of course, that... Uh, that, you know, a, a kid buys a bass, and the first day he's got his bass, and his dad sees him leaving the house, and his dad says, hey, where are you going with that bass? And he's like, hey, I got a lesson. And then the next day, the bass player's leaving the house, and dad's like, hey, where are you going with that bass? He's like, oh, I got a gig. <laughs> because no one really wants to be the bass player. I mean, he's not the cool drummer. He's not the lead guitar player. He's definitely not the lead singer. So you take one lesson, and you're a bass player, you have a gig. And so... I tell you this because I picked up the bass and, 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 I, and I loved it. And when you think about walking, when someone says the word walking, my brain automatically goes to jazz. Because I remember I was, uh, I was in college. And I remember in college, there was a, a, a funk group that I really liked called G-Love and Special Sauce. And uh, a great name for a band. And, you know, and, and these guys were from Philadelphia. And they had an upright bass player in it who was playing like... Uh, R&B lines on an upright. And I'm just like, wow, that's so cool. I'm like, I want to do that. And so sure enough, I searched. Remember when garage sales used to be listed in newspapers? Remember that? You guys know what newspapers are? Yeah. <laughs> and I remember there was one that said upright bass in the garage sale listing. And so I was an early bird for that one. It was like a woman was cleaning out her son's closet who was now in his 50s. And there was an upright bass in the closet. And so she had like a $200 price tag on it. I didn't, even, I didn't even negotiate. I'm like, yes. I couldn't even fit it in the car. You know, a big upright bass. I couldn't fit it in the car. And I remember once I got this upright bass, I started messing around on it. It was so different from the electric bass, so different. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, I want to listen to what it sounds like for someone who's really good at this instrument. So I went to 
um, a record store. You guys remember what those are? Yeah, record stores. Before Amazon, you could go to a store and there was all this music there. It was pretty cool. And I remember I went in there and, and I went and I bought a Miles Davis album. Miles Davis, kind of blue. Uh, yeah, amen. Little Miles Davis fans in here. I bought John Coltrane's Giant Steps, great album. And then I bought, on the recommendation of the salesman, I bought Bill Evans' trio, Sunday at the Village Vanguard. Great, out, great albums. If you, if you want to start listening to jazz, those are three great places to start. And I remember I went home, and I put this thing in my CD player. You guys remember what those are, CDs? Yeah. I put it in my CD player, and within about two minutes, I realized that I just created a mess for myself. Because I had no clue how those people were doing what they were doing. I'd never even heard that kind of music before. And I started, like, I want to learn how to play jazz bass. And, and I remember when you start talking about jazz bass, you talk about walking bass lines. And the idea of the jazz bass and the walking bass line was that a bass player's job in jazz is to create a, a pillow that everybody else is meant to sit on top of. So there's this very repetitive step, step, like almost like the beating of your heart in rhythm. And the bass player plays four notes every measure and just keeps that rhythm going. And when I I started to learn how to do this, I realized that you can walk a pretty horrible bass line. I realized as I started learning and started learning how do you play jazz and how do these guys do this, that it doesn't just sound right by default. You have to be intentional, purposeful. You have to understand where the chords are going and why they're going there. And there's good, very pleasurable ways to get in and out of it. But there's also really horrible ways to do it as well. If your rhythm isn't solid, if your note choice isn't appropriate, then things, the music just doesn't sound right. Now, I bring all that up because the Christian life is a lot like that. Each one of us, every single moment of our days, with every single beating beat of our heart, with every single breath, we are walking a certain way in this world. And, and don't get me wrong, as we've been saying all the way through, life's messy. Things go on that we don't like, we don't agree with. Things go on that we don't even understand. Things go on that we don't like, but we don't understand or agree with it because we don't even understand it. But life's hard. But God calls each one of us to walk through the mess doesn't cause us to walk around it, but to walk through it. And God's design for you and I as followers of Jesus is that we walk through it in a very specific way. A lot like jazz, there's a specific rhythm. There's an appropriateness to the choice of notes we play with the walking bass lines of our lives that either creates a context for others to flourish around you or detracts from their opportunity to flourish. And each one of us, by the help of God's spirit, God is molding every single day to walk differently, to walk differently. And so today, as we come to God's word, I want you to open up in your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to look at this messy walk. And in this section, we're going to take the first 22 or 21 verses today. In Ephesians 5, we're going to learn how does God want us to walk? How does he want us to conduct ourselves, to carry ourselves through this life in the midst of all sorts of things 
that are just straight up messy, straight up messy. So Ephesians chapter 5, if you're new to your Bible, the book of Ephesians, it's towards the back, it's in the New Testament. You have, the five, of course, the four Gospels, and then you have the book of Acts in the New Testament, and then you have Paul's letters. You begin with Romans, and then you have First and Second Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians if you're from England. That's how they say it when you're from England, right? 2 Corinthians, right? Some of you are like, yeah, that's how you say it. And then, of course, you have the book of Galatians and then Ephesians chapter 5. Now, verse 1 for us of Ephesians chapter 5 kind of gives us the, the overarching theme. Look at what it says. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. There it is, right there. That's the concept. That's the concept for how we should work. We should be imitators of God as children. Now, we all realize, right, that children imitate their parents. How many of you swore you were never going to be like your parents when you grew up? And how many of you realize that you're exactly like your parents, right? That's right. Because your parents are the main socializing agent in your life. For, for the first, whatever, almost, you know, you could say 18 years, but really the first about 12 years, your parents are the main socializing influence. And then your friends and the people around you start to creep in as you get a little bit older. But just as parent, children are like their parents, we are called to be imitators of God, not just people who talk about God, but we should literally, our actions and our approach to life should imitate who God is. We should see how God functions and walks, and we should be likewise. We should say, I want to be like God. If you say, well, how am I going to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. Jesus, God in flesh, shows us what a life looks like that is totally pleasing to the Father. At every point, Jesus said, I always do those things which please my Father, because as I see my Father do, so I do likewise. So this whole walk, it's all about walking in a way that imitates the Father, that imitates the Father. So look at what it says. It says in verse 2, and walk in love, as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather the giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. So as imitators of God, first we are called to walk in love. See it there in verse 2? And walk in love. No matter how long you read the Bible, no matter how much time you spend in God's word, the supremacy of love in the Bible, just, it's right there every time. But if we're honest, that's the one we struggle with the most, right? We struggle, we know we ought to love, but we struggle to love because people sometimes are infinitely unlovable. 
But notice what it says. It doesn't say walk in love because people deserve that love. It says walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us. Now, verse 2, that's one of those verses in the Bible where you're like, man, now this is the gospel right here. The gospel is not that God saw humanity as so absolutely wonderful that he happily gave up his life for us. But the gospel tells us that we are completely unlovable, but God still loves us because God is loving, and that's why Jesus died. So it's not that we receive God's love through Jesus' death and resurrection because we deserve it. The gospel tells us we don't deserve it at all. We don't have an entitlement to it. We've never done anything for us to be deserving of it, but yet God still loves because God's love is not dependent on how we perform. Now, that's kind of heavy, isn't it? That God wants you to love people completely irrespective of your feelings about their performance. That's hard, isn't it? And I'm here to tell you it's impossible if you don't receive the power of God by the Holy Spirit because of what Jesus did. We can't do it. We've tried and failed and tried and failed. But God's love is unconditional. It's eternal. Ours is totally conditional. I will love you if you do what I want you to do. And if you don't, no love for you. They call it the law of reciprocal affection. I'll love you if you give me what I want. And that's very much the way our culture functions. And thank God it's not the way the God of the universe functions. Because if that's the case, we break down the reciprocal nature of God's love because he gives us love and life and breath and all things, and we give him rebellion. And he doesn't just cut us off. Thank God. He doesn't cut us off. He draws us closer. He lets his great love overcome our complete and total failures. And brothers, sisters, God is asking us to love one another with that love. But you can't do it on your own. You need to let God's love drive it. You need to say, Lord, I need you to teach me how to love people because left up to my own devices, I am not going to get that right at all. I've never got it right before. I'm not going to get it right since. Listen to Jesus in John 15, verses 12 and 13. It says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. So God asks us to walk in love just as God loved us and Jesus died for us. And notice it says, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. You guys, we've been talking about all of this in the book of Leviticus. The idea of an offering, a free gift that we give to God of thankfulness, a sacrifice, something that dies in our place. The idea of a sweet-smelling aroma is a Hebraism for something that brings God great pleasure. So we are to walk as Jesus walked by giving up our lives and our rights for the betterment of others because of love. So we are called to walk in love. But what's interesting is we're told to walk in love, but then it's from verses 3 to 7, we are reminded that we... We should not be deceived. Do not be deceived. Because look at how it starts. We're called to walk in love. And then it says, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather the giving of thanks. 
Do you not know, verse 5, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God? Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. So the Apostle Paul says, imitate God as children. Walk in love, but don't be deceived because how you walk is evident in what you do. That's what these verses tell us, that walking in love is not, yeah, I love you, and I'm going to rip your head off when I get the the sly opportunity. It's not like I'm going to smile at you and I'm going to stab you in the back. The way that walking in love entails very specific actions. And we have a whole list here in verses 3 to 7 of all these different things that are examples of not walking in love. And he says, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. So love plays itself out in actions. Now look at all the things that are not walking in love. Of course, fornication. That's the word pornea in the Greek. It means sexual immorality. We get our word pornography from it or pornographic from it. So any sort of fornication, sexual immorality. You have uncleanness, which speaks of acting in a way that is dirty or defiling. Covetousness, that's the nasty one in the list, isn't it? I think it was Francis of Assisi who said, Francis of Assisi said, I've heard thousands of people's confessions and never once have I heard someone confess the sin of covetousness. When was the last time you felt convicted of being covetous? Most of us probably never, right? We're going to find later in this chapter that covetousness, wanting what's not yours, being discontented with what God has given you. Later in this chapter, it's going to be called, which is idolatry. Wow. That, that being discontented with our lives or our place in lives or our circumstances is a type of idol worship. That's what it's going to say. So we have all these things. When you are covetous, when we are, or I am sexually immoral, when we are unclean, whatever we are, none of these things are walking in love. Notice things like filthiness. It seems like uncleanness on steroids, right? It's one thing to be a little stoiled. It's another thing to be filthy. Foolish talking, coarse jesting, which is not fitting. So now we move from hardcore actions to words. Foolish talking, coarse jesting. Notice, but rather the giving of thanks. See, the Apostle Paul's talked about our language, hasn't he? We talked about it in chapter 4 about the things that we say and why. But now we take this from another angle. When we are coarse jesty, when we are foolish talking, we're missing out on the opportunity to praise. Notice what he says there. But rather giving of thanks. So anytime you or I choose to do an action that is in this list, it's taking us away from an opportunity to use our mouth, our words to praise God, to thank God to enjoy who God is. Say, Lord, I don't get what's going on, but I trust you. Lord, I don't know what's going down, but Lord, be glorified. See, we have a choice to make, but coarse jesting, foolish talking. Then in verse 5, it gets even worse. He says, but this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. 
Let no one deceive you with empty words. You see what he's saying? He's saying, look, we all know that God's kingdom excludes all of these things. Now, someone's bound to say, well, what does that mean for us? I thought we're saved by grace apart from works. And we always say the same thing, don't we? We're not saved by works, but we're saved unto good works. And the greatest way to be able to understand what someone believes is to watch their life. Is if we say, I love God, but I am sexually immoral. If I say, I love God, but I live a life that would be considered filthy by God's standards, then you have to say either I'm not really saved or I'm saved, but it hasn't really taken root in my life. Every time you and I live in rebellion against God, it's another reason Jesus died. And our love and gratitude to God is what cleanses our lives. And now listen, I realize every single person here, every single one of us have failed in a million ways. Every single one of us. There's not one person here except for the presence of Jesus who hasn't failed in infinite ways. But we should be seeing ourselves growing, changing, changing. Because we realize that when Jesus died and rose again, he died because of me, because of us. So don't be deceived. Don't think, well, yeah, listen, I'm going to live like hell all week long, and I'm going to go and praise like I'm in heaven on the weekends. We can't disconnect our lives from our testimonies. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Don't, we can't be duplicitous. You know, and I'll be honest with you, as a pastor, some pastors love preaching about all this stuff. It's hard sometimes because you start saying, don't be duplicitous. You're like, well, Lord, where am I duplicitous? Where am I not walking the talk? But God's word, God is cleansing us. He's changing us. And we can't live in outright rebellion without the conviction of the Holy Spirit and feel safe in who we are in Jesus. Because two can't walk together unless they be agreed. So verse 6, don't let anyone deceive you with empty words. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Now, notice, don't be partakers with them. This is important. Because it says that it's not about association, it's about participation. Paul is not encouraging the church in Ephesus to be kind of pharisaical and exclusivistic. He's saying, don't participate in it. Not, don't ever associate with them. There's an old saying that you hear in church that we should hate the sin and love the sinner. That's pretty solid. Because Jesus was fully God and fully man, but he wasn't a sinner like all of humanity was. He associated with us. He just did not partake in our rebellion. And we're called to find that sweet spot. God does not want us as a church to get into a little holy huddle and we stay on our own and we just, oh, all those people out there are bad and we're really holy right here. God doesn't like that. God wants us just like he is to become fully identified with our community yet not partakers in the ways that our community and our world is in rebellion against God. Jesus is I want to thank you so much for listening to Jesus at Israel Radio. It's exciting to me that you would take the time to listen to this. It is my distinct hope that each one of us would simply respond to Jesus. That's a big idea 
for me, for Crossroads Community Church, and for Jesus is Real Radio, that each one of us would meet with Jesus, what I like to say, at street level, because Jesus is right where you are. He is right there in the middle of your situation and in the middle of your circumstances. Jesus is right there, and Jesus wants each one of us to learn how to simply respond to him. What that means is that at every moment, Jesus prompts us and we take that step. And it's my hope for you as you're listening to this program that you would find yourself each day simply responding to Jesus more and more. You'll become more loving, more kind, more gracious, more generous, not just financially, but in every single area of your life. You find yourself desiring to serve others and not just hoping that everyone is there to serve you. When we simply respond to Jesus, we become closer and closer and closer to who God created us to be. And so we say that Jesus is real and he is and he exists right where you are and he is inviting you to partner with him in recreating the world. So Jesus wants to change the world and he is looking for available people, people like you and like me. So please, as you listen, simply respond to Jesus and engage yourself in the work of God's kingdom in your community and in your world. God bless you so much.